We're going to be in Mark chapter 8 today. I invite you to turn there. Question for you. Uh, I need to know that I'm not alone in this, so it's just a more self-affirmation than anything else here. How many of you, when you leave a conversation, uh, whether that's on the phone or in person or whatever it may be, you think about that conversation and you think about all the things that you could have said or should have said or wish you hadn't said or what the other person said, you just run that conversation back in your mind. Anyone else here? Yes, my people. Yeah, it's a sickness. Uh, is that, you, you as well. That's right. It's, we share that so all the time. Is that we, uh, we do that. And I've been thinking about that the last couple of weeks is that as we have this rhythm series, I've been thinking about how we talk about the Word of God and we talk about prayer and we talk about how these things can really be like shame or guilt-inducing realities, right? Is that we can walk out of here just having this heaviness, this kind of like burden, this, this like, like weightiness. But really the point is, is to be life-giving. The point is, is to be full of the Spirit of God walking out of here, being encouraged by what God wants to do in us. And so today it's the same way. Is that you can hear something, as Nick just alluded to, it may be challenging, but the point is not for you to walk out of here feeling shame or guilt. It's to be reminded of who we are in Christ. And so in Mark chapter 8, voice, verse 31, we're going to start there. So your tablet, your Bible, whatever it may be, Mark chapter 8, verse 31. It says, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have the mind and the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me, in my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. So here Jesus, he explains to his disciples the cross. He explains suffering and rejection and death. And it says that he spoke plainly to them. He wanted them to understand. He didn't want them to be confused by what he was saying. He spoke plainly to them. And Peter here he does not like it, right? It says that Peter rebuked Jesus, which means to strongly criticize or in a sense almost to condemn what he had to say. But just a few verses before, Peter had proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah. It's like, you're the savior of the world, Peter's telling Jesus. You're the coming Messiah. You're the one that we've been waiting for. And then all of a sudden he's like, no, 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 no. That's not true. Don't speak that. It's this quick turn and this impulsiveness that we see in Peter. But why was Peter so quick to rebuke Jesus after proclaiming him as Messiah? I think a couple of reasons. Is one, he didn't want Jesus to die. 
This is his rabbi. This is his mentor. This is the one he's following after. And then all of a sudden here, Jesus is saying, I'm going to die. I'm going to go away. So Peter didn't like that. But Peter also knew the shame of the cross. He knew the shame of the cross. And we don't really think of the cross as followers of Christ as shameful. But to anyone living in Jesus' day or before Jesus' day, they would look at the cross that we have hanging here on the wall and go, what is that there for? Or that you may be wearing a cross jewelry of some sort or have some sort of artwork at home that has the cross on it. They would walk into your house and be like, what is that and why is that on your wall? Because what that would be like for us today is like us having some sort of syringe for lethal injection around our neck or a picture of an electric chair hanging as art in our house. We would find that disturbing. This is the view of the cross, is that there's shame and disturbing realities to it. The cross and crucifixion was designed to disfigure, make ugly, and expose the one on it to the ridicule of society. New Testament scholar F.F. F. Bruce, he wrote these words about the cross. To die by crucifixion was to plumb the lowest depths of disgrace. It was a punishment reserved for those who were deemed most unfit to live, a punishment for those who were subhuman. Not a raving review of the cross. The Roman author Cicero, who lived long ago, he described it this way. He said, a most cruel and disgusting punishment it is a crime to put a Roman citizen in chains. It is an enormity to flog one, sheer murder to slay one. What then shall I say of crucifixion? It is impossible to find a word for such an abomination. Let the very mention of the cross be far removed, not only from a Roman citizen's body, but from his mind, his eyes, and his ears. Cicero was saying we should not even think of the cross. This should just be, it's such a horrendous punishment. It's such a horrendous death. There is so much shame attached to it. We should not even think of it. Jesus would die on a cross like this. With all its shame, all the disgrace that's there. And Peter wasn't having it. But Jesus turned quickly and he rebuked Peter. And he said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus is saying, your perspective is flawed. Your perspective is not God's. Your perspective is not high like mine. Jesus is saying, I have something else that's happening, not merely human concerns. And he wanted the disciples to know that the cross was a way of sacrifice, a way of service, and a way of surrender. Did you ever notice how Jesus would draw crowds? Crowds would just start following him, and they'd be amazed by what he would say. But there, there seemed to always be a point where he would pause, and he'd look around, and he'd be like, hmm, this crowd's getting really big. I think I'm going to thin the crowd out. And he would say something like this, what we just read in Mark 8, verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him, along with all his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So Jesus is saying, hey, you're hanging around me. You want to follow me. Here's the two requirements. Deny yourself. Stop living with that just self-centered, focused ambition 
fulfilling all your own pleasures, and take up your cross. Yes, the cross that's full of shame and disgrace and rejection and suffering. Those are the two requirements to follow me. And I can imagine the crowds, you know, some dad being like, all right, all right, kids, come on, let's gather up. Come on, honey, we're, we're going to go find someone else that's a little bit easier to follow. It's a little less demanding on what it means to follow. I love and hear how Jesus, he says two different times, he says, whoever wants, he gives an option. Whoever wants, you are not required to follow Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been told that. If you've ever been guilted or shamed or coerced into following Jesus, you do not have to follow Jesus. It is your choice. Jesus said that long ago. It's clear in Scripture again. He says it twice. Whoever wants, it is optional. But to follow him, he says, is a life of self-denial and taking up your cross and bearing it. When I lived in Nashville years ago, I shared this before, but it's worth repeating, is that we had a, a mission team who came in and stayed with us for the week, and we served around Nashville and the city, and, uh, and the youth pastor came to my mentor Dove and I one evening and just said, hey, I want you to know that the 15 kids who are on this trip, none of them have professed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Like, they go to church, and they're good kids, but they've never professed Christ as their Savior. And so Dove, he's like, I got it. I'll do it tonight. So we debriefed the day. We talked about everything with the kids, and, and he started into what I anticipated to be the typical salvation message that you have heard many times if you've sat in church that maybe you, re you responded to. But for the next 20 to 30 minutes, he told those 15 high schoolers every reason not to follow Jesus. He said, you know what? It's going to be really, really hard. And you're going to be tested again and again and again. And it's going to divide. It's going to, it's going to, um, you have to sacrifice. You have to serve. And you have to change your habits. And people aren't going to understand. And you're going to go through really, really hard times of doubt and darkness. And he just kept talking like this for 20 to 30 minutes. And I'm like, where's the part about like eternity and joy and everlasting peace and all this? And I just sat there just going like, oh, what is he doing? This is the biggest mistake ever. So at the end of this time, he said, all right, I've said all that. It's not really a great reason to follow Jesus, but does anyone want to follow Jesus? All 15 hands went up. I'm like, what just happened? What just happened? What I didn't realize at the time was that he was modeling what Jesus did. That it's called a life of denial, of picking up your cross and following Jesus. See, self-denial is not primarily about squashing all of our desires, delaying all our gratifications, some form of self-annihilation where we become a shadow of who we are. That's not what it means to follow Jesus. Like for some of you, it's been painted as this, like, just, just got to just, can't do anything. You just got to worship God all the time, and it's just going to, it's going to be, you know, ugh. and you have this picture of just this, like, kind of gray world. That's never what Jesus intended. But rather, it is purely about identification. Who do you identify with? 
Who do you find your purpose, meaning, calling, everything with? It's about identification. That's not spelled correctly. I don't know what word that is. Indentification. So, uh, <laughs> all right. So it's, it's about identification, not indentification. So uh, maybe there's something there. You can study that and tell me what that is later. Love that. I love that. That's good. All right. I imagine most of you did not even notice that, and I just called that out on myself. So anyways, here's the point. You can get rid of that screen. We'll, we'll go to a blank screen or something. <laughs> it just stays there. I'm going to have to turn that TV, Jenny. So this is the point. Who do you identify with? Where do you find your purpose and your meaning? Am I willing to put Jesus before anything else? Am I willing to put Jesus before my family name, Jesus before my job, Jesus before my education, Jesus before my church affiliation, Jesus before my friendships, Jesus before my skin color or nationality, Jesus before my political party, Jesus before my gender, Jesus before my sexual identity, Jesus before my view on masking or the vaccine, Jesus before the death penalty, Jesus before my view on immigration, Jesus before anything that you want to fill that blanket with. Am I willing to identify with Jesus before any of the other ways that I have found my identity and I define myself? Tim Keller, years ago, he said this, and I'm going to say it twice. He said this, he said, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Ouch, right? If your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. That's what Jesus was talking about, of self-denial. Is that Jesus and the way of Jesus first and foremost above everything else, or is it Jesus and something else? Self-denial is about refining who I am and what I believe and the way I act and the way I think to look more and more like Jesus. It's about whom I identify with. Self-denial. But it's also about cross-bearing. Matt Skinner, he wrote these words. He said, Cross-bearing means much more than patience or obedience. It means death. It means the resignation of one's reputation and life. Crosses imply rejection. Those who bore crosses in the Roman imperial world were publicly declaring that their society or their leaders had denied them. Those who follow Jesus associating with this vividly rejected Christ Take on an identity and a way of living that poses threats to the world's corrosive ideologies and idolatries. Or as Jesus taught in Mark chapter 8, when he said in verse 35, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when they comes in his Father's glory and with his holy angels. Still want to follow Jesus? 
Remember, it's optional. And you can walk away at any point. See, following Jesus, it wars against this me-centric, what do I get out of it type of reality. Because as a follower of Christ, I want to believe that the more I follow Jesus, I want to believe that my life will be easier instead of harder. That I believe that the more I love Jesus, the more comfortable my life should be. I want to believe that as I grow, it should be painless. And I also want to believe that maturity comes without sacrifice. But the reality is, is that following Jesus is hard. And for as much as we want to believe it's what we want or that it gets easier, that may not be the case. Sky Jathani, he wrote these words. And I want you to notice a, uh, two words that he highlighted and repeated again and again in here. He said, my secret is that I want to be relevant and popular. I want my desires fulfilled with and pain minimized. I want a manageable relationship with an institution rather than messy relationships with real people. I want to be transformed into the image of Christ by showing up at entertaining events rather than through the hard work of discipline. I want to wear my faith on my sleeve and not look at the darkness in my heart. And above all, I want a controllable God. I want a divine commodity to do my will on earth as well as in heaven. This year, I've said it a few times, is that my prayer for us as a church, as a people, is that we would have the mind of Jesus. That as we interact with one another, we would have the mindset of Jesus Christ, as Paul said. But we have a choice. We all have a daily choice. That's why we're talking about these rhythms it is a choice to follow after him. It's a choice to engage in the word. It's a choice to pray. It's a choice to be reminded of the sacrificial call in the way of Jesus. Flip over uh, to the right uh, to Galatians with me if you're still in Mark. And look at some words that the Apostle Paul wrote. Galatians 5, start in verse 13. In this first verse, I want to emphasize this, is that this is really the heartbeat of what we're talking about here, is that we're called to be free. Again, it is not self-denial and taking up a cross. It's not squashing who we've been created to be. It is fulfilling who we've been called to be. And so Paul here writes, you, my brothers and sisters, we're called to be free. This is the intent of Jesus. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And he continues to write, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. This is such an important thought for us to understand, is that 
we have desires, we have things we want to do and say and think, yes, that is real. That is the flesh within us. And it's different from the call and surrender of following Jesus. They, they war against each other. There's conflict. We shouldn't be surprised by that. And such an important verse is says, so you're not to do whatever you want. And this is a radical thought in our day. is because we're being encouraged to do whatever we want, to find whatever pleasure it is. Just do it. As long as it doesn't, quote, unquote, hurt someone else, just do it. But he says you're not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as you did before, that those that live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, thinking of taking up the cross there. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So Jesus is saying here, or Paul's saying here in this letter to the church of Galatia, that there's evidence when we are denying ourselves, when we are taking up our cross. This fruit is born within us, that it's not by our own power or our own will, but it's by the Spirit that grows love within us, grows peace within us, it grows self-control within us. And we're to follow after keeping step in the Spirit. And as we're walking in step with the Spirit, of course, there's fleshly desires that come. Of course, they're in conflict with one another. But the call is, is that we are in step with God, and we're the most free when we're walking with him. We realize we're the most human when we're walking with him. We realize we're the most alive when we're walking with him. It's not fulfilling all our own self-desires, but rather he meets our desires and he shows us paths and opens doors and opportunities that are far beyond our own reality if we're willing to surrender and sacrifice and serve. Jesus tells a story in Mark chapter 10. I'm going to share this story with you. It's probably a familiar story. You're welcome to flip over there if you want to Mark chapter 10. And Jesus, he demonstrates this, what we've been talking about here. When he had someone approach him, Mark 10, verse 17, it says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, I have kept all those since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him 
and loved him. This guy's like, I've got it together. Jesus loves us. He's just, he's got this heart for him. So Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. What Jesus was asking him was, what is that thing that's standing in the way between a relationship with God and you? What is that one thing? Because this is not a universal mandate. Jesus is not saying to all of us, go sell everything we all have and we all give it to the poor. That is not a universal mandate in this passage. But what Jesus is getting at is that this is the one thing that was standing in the way for this man to know the Father, to have that relationship, to have that connection, to deny himself, to take up his cross. And Jesus called it out for him. And so I ask you, what is that one thing for you? What is that one thing that stands in the way between you and the Father? What is that one thing that, that the Spirit keeps tapping on you of like, this is your area where you need to deny yourself. This is not good for you. This is not healthy. It is not fruit-bearing. You need to deny yourself in this area. I imagine if we went around the room and all shared we're not going to do that. There'd be so many different answers in here. Because what is that one thing that's standing between you and the Father God? See, so often we ask ourselves a question when we hear a message like this or we read passages like this, is we think this question is, what is the cost of following Jesus? This is what we talk about is like, well, there's a huge cost of following Jesus. You're talking about self-sacrifice and taking up your cross and following him and that one thing that I just want to hold on to and I don't want to give up. So we're like, man, that's really costly to follow Jesus. But I believe there's an even more important, more impactful question that we need to ask ourselves when we think about Jesus' teaching and following him. Is this, is what is the cost of not following Jesus? What is the cost of not following Jesus? I mean, the, the rich young ruler in this passage here in Mark 10, what did he miss out in? That if he had just said, all right, Jesus, yep, I'm going to sell that. That's the one thing standing between us. What would have been different in his life? What is the cost of not following Jesus? What is the cost of not denying myself that one thing that I'm thinking of that I just keep holding on to? that I won't let go of. Dallas Willard, he attempted to answer this question. And I want to read what he said about non-discipleship or the cost of not following Jesus. He said, non-discipleship costs abiding peace. It costs a life penetrated throughout by love, faith that sees everything in the light of God's overriding governance for good, hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances, power to do what is right and withstand the forces of evil. In short, 
it cost exactly that abundance of life Jesus said he came to bring. The cross-shaped yoke of Christ is, after all, an instrument of liberation and power to those who live in it with him and learn the meekness and lowliness of heart that brings rest to the soul. The correct perspective is to see following Christ not only as the necessity it is, but as the fulfillment of the highest human possibilities and as life on the highest plane. What is that cost of not following Jesus? So the last number of weeks, we've talked about the rhythm of engaging in daily devotion, engaging the word, connecting with the Father. We talked about prayer last week and really how those two are intertwined, the word and prayer, and have encouraged us to build that rhythm. And if it's still sloppy and still messy and you're like, ah, I forgot, there's a new week and a new day, this rhythm. And so as we look at service and sacrifice and surrender today, what in the world is that rhythm? What does that look like? This is what I want to encourage you with today is every time you see a cross this week, whether it's in your house or in your car or, or maybe you choose to wear jewelry or, or wherever you see a cross, you're driving by a church, I want you to think about it. Is that, is that, do I see that as a symbol of shame and disgrace and this like heaviness of like, oh, yep, I have to give this up. I have to follow Jesus. I have to do these things. Or do I see it as Dallas Willard said, an instrument of liberation and power to those who live in it? One that gives freedom. Do I just look at that as like heaviness and brokenness and shame and uh, I have to do this? Or liberation and power and freedom and blessing that God loves you, he knows you, he calls us to walk in his way denying herself, taking up his cross. What is it? So every time you see a cross, is that reminder of what does this cross mean and how am I living into that? Let's pray. Gracious God, merciful Father, Lord, I thank you for the remembrance we had through communion, remembering your broken body and shed blood. Lord, the freedom that we find in salvation. Lord, the confidence that we have in eternal life. Lord, I pray that just as we trust you for salvation, as so many in this space, in this room, and those watching at home have trusted you for salvation and their eternal life, God, I pray that the cross would have meaning and purpose of life and life to the full here and now. That we would live into what we say we believe. We would live into what we think we believe. That we would truly see the cross as this freedom and liberation and power in our life. Lord, calling us to the highest plane of reality. Living in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. Lord, I pray today, this week, for me personally, that I would deny myself when my flesh cries out, 
pray the same for each person, that they would deny themselves when their flesh cries out in sinful ways. God, that I personally, too, would pick up my cross. God, and follow you. God, that I wouldn't live for me, but for you. And I pray for the same for each person. And Lord, too, I want to pause here for a moment as maybe there's someone in this space or someone at home that's never received you as their Lord and Savior. Has never confessed their sin. Has never acknowledged you as their Lord. Has never received the gift of eternal life. Lord, the scriptures teach you're faithful and just and will forgive us of all of our sins. You'll purify us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we're just called to confess and to believe. So if there's anyone here today, just you can pray this in your heart and your mind. God knows it. Some sort of words like this. And I admit that I am a sinner. That I need a Savior. And God, here today, I confess sin. I confess my self-reliance. And Lord, I trust you. God, I want to follow after you, denying myself and taking up the cross. Lord, I receive your forgiveness now, and Lord, I know that you'll walk with me. So here today, God, I want to begin this journey, this walk with you. Lord, I want to follow after you. Lord Jesus, I pray your blessing, God, your peace. Lord, all the promises Lord, that are, you've given in Scripture. God, that you give us life and life to the full. God, as we follow after you. So, Jesus, we thank you for your mercy, your love, your kindness, and your goodness. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. As I walked in here earlier this week, I realized that we've not taken a moment uh, in service for uh, a number of weeks to pause, and uh, you may have noticed the tree here. Many of you know why that tree is there. Uh, Many of you are represented, uh, six of you are represented on that tree. And what this tree is, is it's it's a symbol. Um, God's doing a work amongst us, and uh, that tree, each bulb represents a life of someone who's rededicated their life to Christ. Maybe we're walking a different way or not following after. Uh, but have rededicated their life to Christ recently, uh, who, are, who have said yes to following Jesus uh, for the very first time. And so we've been turning bulbs as a symbol and a remembrance of what God is doing. And so I want to pause for a moment. If there's anyone here that today would like to turn a bulb representing their rededication to Christ recently or their salvation uh, where they said yes to following Jesus. And so what I'll ask you to do is just stand up, come forward. Uh, I won't make you talk if you don't want to. Uh, just uh, you can share your name uh, with me and then uh, turn a bulb. Is there anyone that wants to turn a bulb? Awesome. Come on forward. <laughs> now, I said I won't make you say anything. Did you want to say anything? I'd rather not. Remind me your name. Vincent. All right. Vincent. Yes. Met you before. So go ahead and turn any of the bulbs there. There we go. Praise God. Congratulations. Thanks, Vincent. Anyone else? First time salvation, rededication? All right. 
This is Kevin. There we go. Let's give God praise. Amen. Anyone else? All right. God bless you all. So thankful that we could share in this. And uh, just as you walk this week, uh, continue with that surrender, that sacrifice, and that service. And